Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, as always, Chad Mitz. So a little bit of inside baseball here as we begin this episode of the podcast. Chad and I uh, usually record these on Sunday nights or Monday nights, uh, mainly because those are the free nights in my life. Um, but uh, we decided to put it off. We were waiting for Sony to drop a trailer, which Sony has now dropped. Uh, the internet dropped it before you know Sony got to it, but <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit too. Uh, prone to leaks are is are they? But before anything else, I wanted to cover the breaking news with Chad. News that has just broken within the last hour. Chad, are you ready? I am ready. Chad, in the midst of the biggest news dump in history, Sony has announced that they are moving Venom, Let There Be Carnage, to January of 2022. Have they officially said that? It is in the trades. And it was announced under the flurry of all the positive Spider-Man news. They wanted the world to not mention the fact they're moving their movie for a third time this month. Yeah, I, I saw that a few hours ago. It was just a rumor. But I found it funny that uh, it was coming up now when Sony presented at CinemaCon last night, hence the Spider-Man trailer. Uh, that's I don't know what that says. That might say a lot. It might not say anything at all, though. I mean, it's just interesting to me, that placement. Um, Friday, you know, news dumps where you have a big bunch of positive publicity for this Spider-Man trailer to sneak this kind of news in there under the radar through the trades is uh, an interesting thing, especially with Bond having... Having said this week, they're full go for October. They don't care. They're 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 having they're having a premiere. They're done. We're just gonna get this movie out there so Daniel Craig can can collect his money. I get it. Uh, well, I get it for Bond. You know they've kicked the can. Well, this has been almost a full year now, but April you know. April of two thousand and uh, was supposed to be April of twenty twenty. Was that the original date? I I thought it was November for some reason. It may have been it may have been November of twenty, and then they booked it. But I could have sworn it was April. Then they pushed it. No, that's what it was. April twenty pushed to fall of twenty, and then pushed again to fall of twenty one. Okay, well that you know COVID did that. I I can't blame that. Now this whole Venom thing, I know it's the they can say that it's because of COVID, and you know it probably is. Uh, the numbers are still not going down as far as I can see. So they could be worried um, that we won't be out of out of trouble enough to release Venom. And I really think Sony, unlike everybody else, is like, we need all of the money, like as much as we possibly get for all of these movies. So if they think moving it to January, if uh, we'll control this uptick we've had in COVID and things are looking as new normal as it's going to get, okay fine uh but pushing it to pushing it to january just like right now particularly not on the same day as you have your big comp presentation it kind of makes it seem like that is not why you're moving it which would be contrary which would imply that there's uh concern about the movie which would be contrary to everything we've heard about venom so far yeah, it's just uh, just odd odd public relations timing on their end, and huh. you know dumping something in the trades is is just a thing you normally do for something you don't want to grab attention. 
And, yes. you know, it's just like, I mean, I get it. You don't want the ridicule of having moved something twice or even three times in the last month. But you released a trailer early this month and then you pulled the change the date and now you've changed the date again. So I know that that looks kind of bad, but I mean, we're in different times now. We're not, we're certainly not in normal times. Yeah, if this was normal times and you, you're pushing it, you know, what, six weeks out from, from your date into January, the known dumpster fire month of movie releases. Yeah, we we on all, the same day you're supposed to release Morbius. Well, that just well, see the the unsaid thing in that release is that if that's moving to January, that means Morbius is moving again. Now that movie. I don't think COVID is speaking at all for, for the moves of that movie. I think that all of those moves speak for itself. I think that that January corridor can be profitable. Uh, we've seen Glass do it. We've seen a couple of other films do it, but it t- it's an odd thing. And especially with the brutalness of the winter on the East Coast, it just, it doesn't lend itself well to making a whole bunch of money. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they do move it to January. There's not another place on the on the 2020 schedule to move it. Um, it'll just be interesting, and I don't think they're moving it for storyline reasons because they were going to release it before uh, beforehand anyway. But for uh, Morbius or for Venom, both. We know that Morbius has uh, a, a tangible tie because Michael Keaton is in the trailer, uh, and Venom. You know, Sony's one of Sony's many bosses has been floating around saying, we've got a grand plan. And they even, you know, um, uh, rebranded their non-MCU movies again yesterday. So, I mean, you know, they clearly have a thing and that's fine. But like, um, I just don't think that that those two movies were moved because their stories are impacted by No Way Home. I think that they were just moved because... Sony wants to make as much money as possible off of them. I, I mean, overall, I think that's what it is. Well, particularly with Venom, I think that's what it is. It's just very striking that they just wouldn't announce it yesterday and, and, and do it today through the trades, like you said. That's the only thing that makes me think that it's it's a little bit more than just the it's COVID and we want all the money kind of thing. It's uh, that that it's it it feels like a lack of confidence. Uh, and by saying it that way, like if they knew they had to, if if Spider Man was in this place and they knew they had to move it, they would loudly and proudly say, "We're moving this. We're moving this because of COVID. Here's when we're moving it." For them to just kind of try to sneak this in, sneak this past everybody, that's that's the only thing that gives me pause about why they're moving it. Uh, I do think COVID is the 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 overall driver but i do think there's a lack of confidence there indeed uh so chad let's move our conversation this evening toward the release of that trailer which hit the internet uh at time on sunday morning sunday afternoon sunday evening uh a leaked version of one person recording the trailer on his phone and or a phone and then sending that video of the video of the phone out onto the internet with unfinished VFX and everybody wondering what Scarlett Johansson was doing at that exact moment. Um, And it took Sony a full 48 hours to relent and release the trailer. Um, What are your thoughts on the trailer? And Chad, it has now been confirmed that Dr. Stephen Strange 
is the worst Sorcerer Supreme in the history of Sorcerer Supremes and is definitely not the best of us, as Tilda Swinton said in Endgame. <laughs> she has failed. They have all failed. Oh, well. <laughs> this is your reminder, Chad. Two witches were fighting in New Jersey, like 35, minute, 35 minutes away from him, and he couldn't even be bothered to fly over. Well, there, there's a couple things with that. I mean, we still don't know when this movie takes place. If this movie lines up, oh, well, no, this movie can't line up with that. So never mind. Never mind. Forget that. Because uh, WandaVision takes place, you know, three weeks after Endgame. Far From Home takes place about six to nine months after Endgame. Uh, and I think this movie is going to take place. It's going to at least start right after Far From Home. So that doesn't line up. Um, so I'll talk. So the leaked trailer first. Um, and the only thing I'll say about that is I'm because it had unfinished effects. I wonder if they can go ahead and pinpoint how they got out because it has to be somebody that's working it's watermarked. On it. That's yeah. the thing. It's it's watermarked. It's not it's not a ripped copy of something. It's watermarked and sealed with like a nameplate things. Yeah. So with the unfinished effects, it's this this trailer has been planned out for a while. They they picked all the shots they wanted. They knew the unfinished shots they needed. So they they set up the trailer. My assumption is they set up this trailer months ago while the uh, effects guys are still working on those shots, and they just had it made ready for those shots to be filled in. So it's somebody that worked on it. I doubt it's the person whose copy that was watermarked is that person that did it, but it's somebody that knows them. So I wonder if they can go ahead and pinpoint that and what is the repercussions for that. We'll probably never know, but it's just my random wandering thought that, on that. I, I would assume that effects house loses any contracts they have for Oh boy, if it's a whole effects house that loses it, man, that's going to be rough. Now, to the trailer itself. Uh, the trailer we've been waiting uh, some of us impatiently months for. So, as everybody... The, the trailer that Matt Goldberg took a giant dump on and told us all that it wasn't... It gave him vibes of uh, Ready Player One, and we should uh, we should all not feel very bad about that, because that, that movie's very nostalgia-driven. And then all this is is nostalgia-driven content, and, you know, that doesn't show any growth in the character of Spider-Man. It doesn't show any great story depth or character development that might come and so we should all just be mocking ourselves for being lowly comic book nerd fans who only enjoy content that makes us have our feels about our childhood i need to know why what does matt goldberg like why don't they just put him on things that he likes he can still be critical of things that he likes because clearly he does not like superhero stuff uh, he he. It doesn't seem like he likes anything that's in pop culture. I've stopped reading his stuff for that fact because I don't need to raise my blood pressure on stuff that doesn't matter. I understand people have different opinions. It's great to everybody have different opinions, but he always gets to write the superhero pop culture stuff, and he clearly does not like it. So let him do something else. Because I didn't even I. I don't, if I saw that he wrote something about this trailer for Collider, when I saw his name, I stopped reading. I don't remember if that's what happened today. I know I opened up something for Collider. I saw his name and I stopped reading it today. I just don't remember what that was. 
So I, you need to stop doing that to yourself. You, you need to stop reading the Goldberg articles because they send you in a tizzy. You just need to stop. Uh, so outside of curmudgeons, um, I I am a bit, I say that, and then I can say I'm a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to multiverse stuff. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I think it can get convoluted and confusing and all this stuff. With that said, and, and I've been saying that for a while, and that's been my biggest concern for this movie. With that said, seeing the way that this trailer plays out and giving us the hints of how the story unfolds, I'm okay with it. I'm on board with it. Uh, was there a lot of fan service elements to this trailer? You betcha there was. Uh, you, making sure we get a lightning strike in there to know that Electro is coming. Make sure we see a dust cloud to think that Sandman is coming. Uh, blatantly giving us the pumpkin bomb and Willem Dafoe's laugh. So we know that we're getting his Green Goblin, hopefully with a better outfit. That I, I, I get that. And blatantly giving us Dr. Otto Octavius. And I will say that's that was a smart move because Alfred Molina's the only one that's been like who's outed hey, himself. Yeah, I'm yeah. in the movie. Yeah. So he's outed himself. And that that wasn't a surprise. The the bad CGI was a surprise. But again, we're dealing with early vision VFX. And I expect the de-aging technology will look better once the film is finished. Yeah, it's it was weird. It's like I know it's not the best, it, it but it's not the worst. But it's maybe, but because I know what Alfred Molina looks like and what he looked like in that movie, I am so intimately aware of what he looked like in that movie. I can tell the difference. But uh, for lay people, and I, I a lay person watched the trailer, and her only response was, "Oh, they brought him back," which I can get into that aspect of it later but for the for the the story that this thing is laying out um i i'm on board with it because um we see why we're getting to this whole multiverse part we see why dr strange is involved and unlike the other two movies which i know a big criticism is that uh some people feel that spider-man is iron man jr uh it doesn't feel like he's trying to live up or be anybody. He's not. He's just, he's Peter. So this, this feels like um, while Dr. Strange is going to be in it and by the nature of it, he's going to play an important part of it. It's more of a, it feels more like a, a team up movie rather than the whole mentorship thing that people really, really didn't like. And uh, as long and as, as that plays out, I think people will be, I think people feel better about this movie just off of that alone. So I'm on board with it. I marked out for the parts I was supposed to mark out for. And now it has got me extremely excited for what's, what's going forward. And um, my, my only thoughts now are what do general audiences think seeing this trailer? Because you know, I watched it a few times and my daughter watched it once. And she's excited. She wants to see it. But those all those moments that hit with me from those other movies didn't hit with her because her Spider-Man is Tom Holland. She doesn't know the rest of them. So a pumpkin bomb. She didn't understand what the pumpkin bomb was until this afternoon because Spider-Man 3 was on and she saw it there after she saw the trailer. And then she's like, oh, those things again. So 
for the younger audience, how does it play with them? For people our age, all those other moments hit. So I, I'm just, that's just my curiosity. Nothing else from that. The Sony 20 years in the making endgame. That's what this <laughs> is. And look, let, let's be fair here. There are a few things that, that didn't get shown, right? We, we No Toby, no Andrew, no overt shots of Thomas Hayden Church, no overt shots of Jamie Foxx, just the Defoe laugh from a previous movie um, because James Franco is, you know, off, uh, off you know, radioactive now. Um, Dean DeHaan is very much like, I did Valerian uh, and I no longer want to do these things. So like, None of them are coming back, but like you don't get those shots because you want to keep those secret, right? And I, I've been thinking about this a lot today, and really since the trailer hit, is how in the weeds me and you are because we follow this kind of stuff. It's like when I sent you the the um, the link about the Yahoo article that claimed that like Doctor Strange being in Spider Man Two, Spider Man uh, No Way Home was a huge spoiler, and me and, and I'm like we both were reading the Comic-Con, like, reveal things, and, like, we knew Sony announced that he was going to be in it. Like, right? But, like, we know that because we're in the weeds. To somebody just stumbling along as just a casual MCU fan, and they see Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in the Spider-Man movie, you're like, whoa! And you're caught off guard by it. And I feel like the same, I felt a lot of that in the trailer, where it was like, okay, I have heard for a while now that they were basing this off the comic book story arc where Doctor Strange, uh, there was a time when Spidey's identity got revealed. He went to Doctor Strange to get it fixed, basing it off of that. Now that's confirmed in the trailer. I've heard for a while now that, you know, we were getting a version of the Sinister Six. Well, you know, I heard the Defoe's Goblin was coming back. Well, now I've got that confirmed. Was heard that Electro and Sandman were being reprised to their characters, that's in the movie. Alfred Molina, you know, had already confirmed for us that he was back. That's confirmed with a shot in the trailer. Keaton's Batman, Keaton's uh, Vulture is rumored to be back. Like, you know, all of these things that were rumored are confirmed in the trailer, and that makes me happy because it means that the other things that we've heard, i.e. backing a Banks truck, uh, a truck up to Tobey Maguire's house, and, uh, for more importantly for me, Kirsten Dunst's house um, are going to happen. And yes, Kirsten Dunst is my pepper pots of this of the uh, of the Spider-Man cinematic universe. Much prefer oh, her to, to, to the Gwen Stacy from Emma Stone. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so I let you have the pepper thing. I, I let you have it because I find her. Uh, she is only inoffensive. No, no, she's overall endearing. I like Pepper. I have no problems with Pepper. Kirsten Dunst, as an actress and as a person, I actually like a lot. Kirsten Dunst, as Mary Jane Watson, is the absolute worst. I can't stand her. I don't like her at all. It's it's the way she was written, and then the way they had her portray her. I just do not like her at all. And the characterization was wrong, too. Like, the, the outfits, the the hair... They didn't get a lot of that stuff right comic book wise. But then again, in the early 2000s, when Raimi was making these movies, the first decade of the 21st century, they didn't care about comic book authenticity. I mean, we can all go back to that that joke in the first X-Men movie about yellow spandex. You know, they, yeah. it was a joke to them. They didn't care. 
Well, uh, I'm well. I would say they get personality right, but I really, I don't. I think a big part of the flaws of the the Raimi movies is I don't think they get Peter's personality right at all. Um, and I bag on Toby a lot, but really, what they had written for him, he's not the Peter that I would. I always envision uh, is not the personality I got from the comics because, you know, a lot of the comic characters, they're there, but you can kind of put your own personality into them. Peter has a Peter has a, a personality and Toby just did not. It's just he is just doe eyed through most of this this whole franchise. He's got three modes. He's got smile, doe eyed, which is 80 percent of the time. And ugly cry face. That's it. That's that's the range that he's got. Except in 10 minutes of Spider-Man 3, the worst of the three, when he gets to be emo Peter, he gets to emote and do things like that whole montage with the dancing that everybody likes to make fun of. He does better the, the best work of his Spider-Man tenure in that because, because he he's doing different scenery. things. Yeah, he he's he's chewing it up, the dance is chewing it up. Uh the, the scene with um, Elizabeth Banks is Betty Brant. That, that's like one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. But he doesn't do that any other time. And Peter has a personality, particularly when he's Spider-Man. He, he had like, his thing when he's Spider-Man is that he doesn't shut up. He cannot help himself from not being able to shut up. And Peter and Toby Wire Spider-Man is a mute. It's a, he makes one joke no, no. He make yeah, no, he makes one joke through the whole series that I really count as a joke. And that's in Spider-Man 2, when he fights out for Melina the first time, who throws who when they're in the bank, he literally Doc Ock literally throws a bank bag with the money S on it at Spider-Man. And he throws it back and says, Here's your change. That's his one joke. It sucked. And it that that's it. So I have a lot of problems with the Raimi Spider-Man movie, and it's mostly because of the person, the the personality of those characters. But Mary Jane Watson was, she was a a shrieking shrew that I could not, I don't understand why anybody would like her. Like in the first one, I get it, but at, like it just got worse. And in, in well, three, they, she in, was in awesome. two and three, in two and three, they made her bitchy girlfriend. Let's just be honest with it. Like, yeah. They, that's what they made her and like and she and Liz and, and Kirsten can do that and did it as well as she could but like the thing that you've brought to my attention over the years and in my re-watching the Raimi movies at certain points in my life I've noticed is it's kind of like um it's kind of like Nolan's Batman trilogy if you look at Nolan's Batman trilogy as a whole Nolan is doesn't really care about Batman Batman, in some aspects, is a supporting player in two of the three movies. Okay? Like, I feel like those Raimi movies don't necessarily care about Spidey, but they care about those around Spidey. They find more interest. For example, I feel like Raimi himself finds more interest in the father-son dynamic between Peter, uh, between uh, Harry and um, Norman. Norman than he does anything about Peter in the first movie. And I feel like he cares more about Doc Ock as a character and a villain than he does Spidey at all in Spider-Man 2. In Spider-Man 3, I think he's more interested in 
the idea of what makes a person evil, like what is evil and what makes a person evil and those choices. He's more interested in three. He's more interested in the more thematic element. And he's also interested in the story of brothers, right? Because the best part of Spider-Man 3 is the story that they should have told, which was just exclusively Harry versus versus uh, Peter. Peter. Yep. And that's what you had been building toward for three movies. And that's what Akiva Goldsman and Ari, um, Mel, uh, Ari uh, Fleischer, not Ari Fleischer, uh, Ari Melbourne. What's, what's his name? Arad. Ari Arad. Ari Arad. Like, he decided he wanted to do Venom, he wanted to do Sandman, he wanted to do all these things. And it really is clear to me, the more you watch three, that the thing that the director cared the most about and the thing that the actors cared the most about was though that story. And so really, if you think about it, Raimi doesn't care as much about Spider-Man as he cares about things around Spider-Man. And that's why the things around Spider-Man in that trilogy work really well. Whereas Rain, whereas uh, Webb is just genuinely interested in the charisma and the dynamic of the relationship between uh, Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker. Like I said, I watched three was on earlier and uh, it was at the very beginning and it was the best part. I, I did get to watch Peter versus Harry again. And yes, that is what uh, if the movie focused on, like it didn't have to solely focus on that. I think you could bring Sandman in, particularly since. Uh, and, he did, and he did Sandman really well. If you look at the way he's written and the way Thomas Hayden Church performs him, it's a well done thing. It's just when you notice the venom being shoved in. Yeah, it's because it comes that movie comes down to it's about forgiveness because Harry has to forgive Peter. Peter has to forgive Sandman. That's really what it is. And it could have done all of that with the black suit. I think the black suit would have added to it because then Peter goes down his dark road like Harry goes down his and they have that confrontation. You just didn't need to shove Venom in. I think if you take Venom, if you take Venom out and you don't make the you don't make it solely the Sandman monster at the end. That's a, a much better movie. And that's what they were, like you said, that was what they were more interested in. But, uh, and and who knows if that would have happened, I probably would have, I might change my way I feel about Toby because I think he did the best in that movie. And with an, another direction to finish it, that might have changed, that might change how I, I feel about him. And also with a uh, with a uh, John Malkovich Vulture to go against in the next film. Yeah, we definitely would have got a, a four with Vulture, but we you would if, if, so if you put off Venom from three, there was no way you're not getting Venom at four. But it, it would have probably been Vulture and Venom, and you know that could have been maybe that would have been enough for Raimi to balance with the thing that he really connected to, which were the classic Venom of uh, villains as opposed to villain, Venom, who he didn't really get it off. Maybe it's definitely a 90s thing. Yeah, and, and it, it was, but I think he could have done it, gone a different way, but not the way they went three. But yes, The Amazing Spider-Man is all about the personality of Peter and Gwen and how people like them. Now, if the trailer had more of the things from that movie... Uh, my daughter probably would have caught on to more of that because she's seen, I don't know why, but she's seen those movies more than she's seen the Raimi ones. Uh, so she knows. Spidey. Yeah, she knows Gwen Stacy. She knows 
Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. But we didn't get a whole bunch of visual cues from that one. We only got, you know, the hints of Electro and apparently Lizard's in there at some point, maybe Lizard. But uh, yeah, we're we're speeding this thing off to um, Multiverse Sinister Six, and I'm okay with that. I really am. Things you never would have heard Chad say in 2014. Oh, no. Oh, no. I would have been like, multiverse? No. Sinister Six, after three movies where you haven't introduced any of them? No. And Drew. But Drew got her behind the helm. Well, 2014, uh, I would have said okay to Sinister Six at that point, just because of how Amazing Spider-Man 2 was going about setting them up. You just knew they were going to throw them all together, but they were going to throw them together in one movie and then have them face Spider-Man. I'd have been like, uh, I wouldn't have done it this way, but fine. You've given us like three in this last movie. So I get it. But uh, but yeah, we're we're getting it now. And uh, also a thing I never thought, I never thought we would, we would we would be doing one of the most controversial Spider-Man stories from the comics which is the, uh, yes, yeah, One More Day is what it's called, uh, which you alluded to with the whole thing of Doctor Strange. And I can go further in if, if you would like. Please do. Educate our audience, because this rumor has been out there for at least a year that this was where they were going. Um, because of you, you had the parts there, right? You had uh, what is allegedly uh, Amy Pascal's decision to, or a suggestion that that they reveal Parker's identity at the end of No Way of Far From Home. It's something they had not done in the previous two trilogies, and this trilogy is kind of about doing things they hadn't done before. And uh, you know, so that rumor had been out there that Strange was going to be in the movie, that he was going to go to Strange for help, and I guess Strange just kind of feels obligated to help because you know they saved the world together. No clue, maybe. Maybe it's not actually Doctor Strange. Maybe it's Mephisto. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's Quicksilver in disguise. I have no <laughs> clue anymore. But tell us about this story because this has been rumored about there for the last uh, year. So tell us tell us about one more day. All right. So in the comics, uh, much you know, in the the movies have already done Civil War. So in the comics, Civil War is much different. Um, there is a conflict and there are two sides, one with Iron Man, one with uh, Captain America. Uh, the, the notable thing about the first run of Civil War is in the middle of the conflict, uh, Spider-Man is on Iron Man's side and Iron Man is on the side of all superpower beings registering and telling their real identity to the government and, you know, then, you know, be going off and doing government work whenever they let them do it so spider-man is initially on iron man's side and since he is on iron man's side in the middle of the run spider-man outs himself he reveals himself as peter parker to the world um fast forward through that run spider-man realizes that you know maybe tony's idea is not the best idea and he switches over to captain america side which is anti-registration and uh, civil war goes on it it ends with I think Cap dying, but none of that's important to the story. Now we have a Spider-Man that's out into the world. And in the comics, they make it very clear that the reason Spider-Man has a secret identity is because one of his traits is that he doesn't stop talking. 
he's actually very annoying to the people that he fights so much to the point that they hate his guts because of it so they make it very clear in the comments he has a secret identity because he has all these enemies and they hate him and they will do if they knew who he was they would go out of their way to make his life a living hell so he's out of himself he doesn't have the protection of tony stark anymore and wouldn't you know it all of his villains are like we're gonna punish him and any which way that we can uh i know it almost leads to aunt may dying at one point and then peter and he's married at this time to mary jane peter and mary jane are like you know this is too much this is enough and they come to the decision like well we know magic people we'll ask them to erase the memory of spider-man's identity from everybody's mind so peter does go to dr strange which i didn't know until this trailer came out he did he does go to dr strange and i think either strange tries and it and fails or strange just tells him no so strange is not the one that does the fix in that story what happens is uh and i'm going to say this i want you all to listen very careful to, carefully to me this will not happen in the movie i'm going to tell you what happens in the comic this will not happen in the movie I'm going to say a name. Y'all have a fixation with this name, but I'm telling you it's not happening in the movie. Okay. I know you still didn't get it, but we're going to move on. So Peter makes a deal with the literal devil and he makes a deal with Mephisto. He gives up his marriage to Mary Jane in exchange for his secret identity being wiped away from everybody's mind to protect the people that he loves. And that is how that story ends. And it launches what is called brand new day, where everything has changed because a lot of people, because people don't know who Spider-Man is. So again, I will say Mephisto is not going to be in this movie. He just did it in the comic. Dr. Strange seems to be the one doing in this movie. Let's leave it at that. People don't look for Mephisto under every rock. We're not getting it. That's just the comic book. So that is uh, one more day. I never thought we would see it on the movie screen because quite frankly, um, the minute Peter outed himself in the comics, I know we're used to fans revolting, but I mean, everybody was like, hell no, we don't like this. So they had to fix it. And one more day was the way to fix it. And your mileage may vary on what happened after that. So Chad, uh, by my count, Mephesto was supposed to show up like uh, five times already in phase four. You're telling me that that's not actually Mephesto disguised as Dr. Strange committing the ultimate act of malfeasance and doing a spell in, when he is instructed not to? I am going to tell you that no, it is not um, that is not Mephisto. And for people that think that Dr. Strange would not do something so reckless, I'm going to tell you that I'm not the biggest Dr. Strange fan, but um, Dr. Strange is not known for being uh, the most careful individual. Reckless is kind of his thing. So this is Literally right up his Reckless, alley. as in I drove my car off the side of a cliff. Yeah, it, it's part, it's, I know we've got, like you know, most people are used to seeing him from Infinity War and Endgame where he was, all-knowing and cool and in control but yeah you have to watch dr strange again and see how he got into the wreck and understand that he got into that wreck because Stephen strange is a very arrogant person that once he thinks he knows everything he knows the ins and outs of everything 
he has so much confidence in his ability. It's on the verge of arrogance. It actually is arrogance. And that leads him to do things that will make things more difficult for him. So he is now the Sorcerer Supreme. He knows he's the Sorcerer Supreme, even though he knows he's not supposed to do certain things, but he just does it anyway. And he's just better than everybody. So he gets away with it. That's what's happening here. He knows he's not supposed to do it, but he's better than everybody. So he can, he thinks he can do it and get away with it. Well, he's not going to get away with it. And uh, multiverse madness is going to ensue. Indeed it is. But I'm just fascinated by by this concept that the man is the all-knowing, the almighty uh, Sorcerer Supreme. And yet two ancient witches, one of which is more powerful than he, could be fighting a subway ride away from him and he cannot be bothered to leave the Sanctum Serum in the hands of Wong and go and make peace between two witches while they destroy a town and one holds an entire town hostage. Again, I say he... Was on vacation in Maui? Was he hiking <laughs> through, the, uh, through the Ganges? What, is, what was he doing exactly? Was he, was he taking a Mark Sanford and, and hiking the Appalachian Trail during, during that particular portion? No, he was just um, being himself and not being concerned with all the things he may have to be concerned with. I just, I I think it's going to be a a tricky balancing act for them to get that across because you have the defining vision. The Stephen Strange that most people are going to associate is not the Scott Derrickson version from the 2016 movie. It's mostly the in-game Infinity War version, which is Yoda. Now, I will remind people, Yoda messed up multiple times in very big ways. Okay? Um, you know, he, he, he was literally told at one point, hey, homeboy who's sitting in the Senate, he's actually Darth Sidious. And, you know, he was told that by a former Jedi, and he said, nah, nah, I would have been able to sense it. No big deal. You know, Five years later, he's having to fight that dude in the Senate. He's like, well, maybe I should have listened. So, like, even great masters can fail. But, like, for me, it's, it's going to be a bit of a jump when you go from the all-knowing sentient, I have foreseen these billions of possibilities, and there is only one way in which we win this fight, and that is by me giving up the, the time stone, Thanos snapping half of existence out of, the, out of reality, and you working with everybody and then sacrificing yourself so that you can snap half of him, uh, half snap him away and his army away. That's the only way we win. We go from that version to a guy who's like, yeah, you helped me save the world once. Call me Steven. Let's go. Let's have coffee and maybe change space and time. Because I owe you one, kid. I would argue that the Avengers version would be the outlier. And I still don't think he's He's not in, in Infinity War and Endgame. He's not put in a position where, where, his, where his knowledge and ability are in a spot where he feels like he's above it all. He's very much, in, um, he's very much confronted with, with the, the possibility of this, this God force coming for him. And then it, is, it does come for him and he's not prepared for it. And he just reacted from that point. He just reacted to everything. The most in control he's in is when he uses the the uh, the time stone 
to see all the possibilities. And from that point on, since he's since he's went through so many different realities, seen that they have only one shot and all these other shots, I think he's just so shook. It's like there's no time for him to be the 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 arrogant jerk that he is. He he just has to do what is necessary at that point. But now, you know, everything is not at everything is not at stake. He's just, he's, he's just walking around chilling at his place in a parka. Literally chilling in a iced over uh, Sanctum Santorum, which I, I'm ready to hear the story of in a parka uh, with his with his cloak still on, drinking out of uh, who give who gives a fox. Um, oh, no. What in the fox um, coffee mug? This is just a regular day for him. I'm good. Peter needs help. The kid was good with me. Let's help him out. And the rest, as they say, is chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get to the leak. Um, we talked a little bit about the, the how it happened. Um, and it's not the first time somebody's had to deal with leaks. Hint, hint. <laughs> emails. Yeah. Who do you think, how do you think that came about? And why did Sony not immediately jump to releasing the trailer? Because if the idea was we're holding out because we're going to do it at a trailer presentation at CinemaCon, which our good friend Jim Vega opted out of this year. He's gone every year for like the past 10 years. This is the first time he opted out because of COVID. He ordinarily would have been in the room. But if you're waiting to show theater owners your trailer, but it leaks on the internet in an unfinished version, that looks not great. As you said on Twitter, why are you not rushing out first thing Monday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time to get that thing out there so that you get the real thing? into people's mind and not the half done thing and why do you tweet out afterwards after the real trailer is finally out there at eight o'clock on tuesday night oh by the way here shout out to the real ones who are watching the trailer for the first time i think if this so if CinemaCon wasn't going on i think we would have gotten the real trailer within an hour or two of that leak coming up just just for damage control uh, because at that point you do it at that point you drown it out. But did I think Marvel they, have the big one leak. They did. I don't remember what movie they blamed it was. Hydra. Yes. Remember they blamed Hydra and you know yeah, damn Hydra, and then they tweeted out the actual trailer. Yeah, I don't remember what that was, but I do remember that, and that that's what made me think of it. Like they they took that step to be proactive to get the trailer out, even if that wasn't when they wanted to do it. But in that case, there was nothing else. They had nothing planned. Uh, it sounds like Far uh, No Way Home was the centerpiece of Sony's whole presentation at CinemaCon. And granted, there's only so many people at CinemaCon compared with everybody on the internet. So you have to do a cost-benefit analysis of is it worth me like blowing up my my centerpiece at the conference to drown out what's going on on the internet? And their their decision was. I think it's more important to release it at CinemaCon during our presentation and then and simultaneously release the trailer on the internet. I mean, there is a world where they have planned on releasing at CinemaCon and still not giving it to us at the same time and maybe waiting a few days to give it to us. And maybe this forced their hand to do it at the same time. But I truly believe if CinemaCon wasn't the next day and this leak happened, they probably released the trailer the same day to drown it out. It's just everything was with CinemaCon. And throwing the fact that 
even though they didn't say it yesterday, they had planned on pushing Venom back and they knew they weren't going to say it at CinemaCon. So keep all they, they decided to keep everything in the chamber for that day, knowing that they had bad news on the front end, bad news on the back end. Let's give them everything they've been waiting for uh, in this middle part and let's forget everything else. Indeed. I just think it's it was an interesting PR disaster from a studio that is used to dealing with PR disasters and should have learned by now. Apparently, the guys who were running LSU Athletic Department's public relations in 2013 is still over there doing his job. At some- <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, you know, Sony is, if I understand, if I remember right, they've kind of cleaned house since then. So all the new people don't know how to deal with all the stuff the old people did because they fired all the old people because they didn't know how to handle the last one. So, you know, cycles. Indeed, indeed. So, Chad, let's move to another Marvel property. What are your thoughts two episodes into What If? So, um, I really like the show. Um, I like the second episode more than the first, even though I really enjoyed the first and seeing Captain Carter and the the, the changes they went with that. Um, for Captain Carter, that one kind of followed the whole theme of uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. So, you know, it's all familiar beats and the, the changes that we did have have there. Uh, one thing I will note is because it's animation, you get to see Captain Carter do some things that uh, Steve Rogers didn't do in the first Avenger and didn't do as Captain America until the Winter Soldier. But that's all, you know, that's all story things you can explain away. She was already a soldier and all that stuff. But I really enjoyed that one, but I really, really, really enjoyed the second one with uh, um, What If T'Challa was Star-Lord. Um, before we get into the spoilers of it all, I I really enjoyed that one. One, watching it and getting it to the end, you know, you can't help but feel sad that this is one of Chadwick's last performances in the MCU. Uh, apparently he has two more episodes so this is not the last, last, but this is the last venue you'll have to see him in. And then the way the way that T'Challa is portrayed in this episode, where he is, I don't want to say overly good, but you can tell how special he is because of the way he influences the people around him and how the characters we have seen in these other Marvel movies, how just simply by having his influence, they've all changed for the better, including when we'll, I know we'll discuss later, uh, Thanos is no longer completely genocidal. And it's all because of an, having a peaceful argument with T'Challa. And seeing that, that specialness, that goodness of T'Challa in this, in this episode made me really, really, again, that reinforced my sadness that Chadwick is gone. And also reinforced, it also added to the sadness that we probably won't have T'Challa going forward when I think that all those things shown about the character should continue on, but it doesn't, you know, we're probably not getting at, getting that. And that is overall sadness for me. So, but I, enjoy, I really enjoy both of those. I can't wait to see what we get tomorrow. I know we got a, a teaser for it, but I didn't even look at it. I just want to go into tomorrow, uh, f- you know, fresh eyes. Yeah, I mean, 
for me, I, I know I've, I've talked to a lot of people in my sphere who were kind of just like, good Thanos, I'm checking out. Um, you know, but it, it is a testament to his ability, his art, his, his rhetoric, his uh, influence, his personality, uh, his voice, as Chaswick uh, was, was so moved by, um, that, that here's a guy who, regardless of whether he was raised by the king of, king of Wakanda, uh, from a young age to be a, a leader, or whether he was raised by Yondu as a ravager, he would still come out with the same humbleness of spirit, the same leadership qualities, the same goodwill and perspective on the universe that he did uh, in his original story. And I think that's that's the profoundness of of that story. Um, Nebula being, you know, a better person and not as haunted, you know. Thanos not being completely genocidal. Thanos versus the uh, versus the uh, Midnight Proxa and 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 all the rest of of his compadres there was actually very fun for me. Um, the Collector being brought back, Howard the Duck making his return, all of that was, was super fun stuff for me. Um, it's just it's a fun detour. I'm excited for it. Every Wednesday, it, it just it gives me something new to think about. And as with Agent Carter, with uh, with the uh, Captain Carter episode, this also gave me a lot of like, I'd like to see some more of that, please. Um, so that that's good. Um, I don't necessarily know that Thanos is the type of dude who can sit peacefully across the table and like hammer out genocidal, you know, policies. But you know, to each their own. Yeah. Well, you got to think it's a different it's a different time. Uh, I. I know most people miss this, but it's not the story doesn't start at the same place. Like in Guardians is 2014. This is, I believe they say this is 10 or 12 years after T'Challa was taken, and that will put it in like 2008, 2010. So, so he was taken in 1988, and then it's 10 years later, so it's 1998. Is it just 10 years later? Because you see it's older now. 10 or 12, something like that. It's okay. not it's not 20 years. It's like 10 or 15. Okay. So it's but it's it's not 2014. So the it, if it's not 2014, that still puts it. I think I don't remember the, the exact time, but I'm pretty sure it's in 2008. So let's just say it's 2008. So that puts it before even Avengers. So Thanos, it's right about the same time as I am Iron Man. Yeah, so in in the galaxy, we don't know where Thanos is. You know, he's clearly had the idea, but we don't know if he's even had found the uh, the scepter for the Mind Stone. So he could still be in the you know big theoretical conceptual part of his idea and not actually like knowing that he can actively do it because he's never seen. But what all we know, he's never seen an Infinity Stone. So he's in a completely different mindset than Thanos when we meet him in Guardians, who's already, uh, con- well, he's already conquered worlds. He's already got a- an Infinity Stone. He's already tried to get another. So he's actively in the process of doing it. So getting him early, might you might be able to, with a pers- the right person, you might be able to convince him but I don't think that right person can convince him once. Like he's got an affinity stone that sees that, oh, I can really do this once I find them all. 
So this is going to be an interesting thing for me because I was one of the five people in the world who read the book that Marvel put out about Thanos. Um, it's one of those, it's not an expanded universe, it's an in-universe novel uh, that talks about Thanos' childhood and Thanos' is asshole of a father um, and, and how that informed his, his, how a presentation when he was seven or, or 12 really changed his whole perception of his own people and his role of life in life um so that kind of material is out there and it is in canon i just think it was fun it was great for Bo roland to approach the role in a different way um all this is just great fun and that's that's the key i i enjoy having fun with these characters and and offshoot stories and I'm, I'm cool with that yeah that that's what this all is is offshoot well theoretically it's offshoot stories but with the multiverse they can technically all still happen but We'll never, we'll never see these exact stories in live action. But because of a multiverse, you might see, you know, elements of Some them. elements. Well, I mean, yeah. also you could you could also choose this moment with everything that they they've got going on. If they wanted to revive Agent Carter and put it on Disney Plus, they could do that with a renewed interest. But again, that just is depending on Haley Atwell and her desire, uh, really. Um, so, Chad, let's move on to a topic that came out of the uh, press tour for Marvel as we're Marvel-centric today and all things. Um, your thoughts on the fact that we will see Ironheart in Wakanda before we see her in her own series and the fact that Wakanda Forever is now shooting in Atlanta. Uh, I think they've been shooting for like a month. So that's, that's not surprising to me. It is surprising that uh, we will see um, Riri Williams in in uh, Black Panther too. Um, I'm you know I have nothing against it. I'm actually for I want to see how they do it. Uh, I have ideas, you know, for for people that don't know Riri Williams Ironheart is she was originally introduced in Iron Man. She is a a 15 year old girl from Chicago that um, makes her own Iron Man suit that catches the attention of Tony Stark. Uh, who then uh, helps her, I don't know if he helps her, but gives her the material, so she builds her first real Iron Man suit that looks, it's in the vein of his Iron Man suit. Uh, it's red and gold and all that stuff, and she becomes the hero Ironheart. This is also in the period of time where Tony is uh, quote-unquote dead. Uh, Tony's always quote-unquote dead in the comics, so, so that's all confusing. But So she she takes over the, the actual Iron Man title, as Ironheart, um, and at, like Tony has the AI that he's always talking to. First was Jarvis, then it was uh, Friday. Her AI is actually an uh, a version of Tony Stark. So she's talking to Tony Stark, Tony Stark's AI as it is an embodiment of Tony Stark. Uh, she later goes on and makes her own separate armor from the red and gold one. It's like. I forget the color scheme, but uh, she did, goes to MIT, makes that, and she's still the hero Ironheart. So for her to show up in um, in Wakanda Forever, it tell what my assumption is that she will still be tied to, be, especially with the name Ironheart, she'll still be tied to Iron Man, and that she probably makes a version of her own Iron Man armor, and that is enough to get to catch the eye of. Uh, the Wakandans who, you know, have opened the, 
we know they opened at least one center in the United States. Maybe they have multiple, and they maybe they have one in Chicago that they catch. They catch. Uh, she catches their eye, and they get together, and and she's able to upgrade her armor using uh, the Wakanda tech and get together with Shuri and that kind of thing. I think that'll be the thing. But as I said, all that I forget. All the set photos and leaks seem to be like it seems to be of MIT, which she does end up going to at some point. So maybe they meet her at MIT. I don't know. But I think that'll be how her progression of a character will be starting off as something, building Iron Man armor and then incorporating Wakanda into it. And then she'll go off into her Disney Plus series, which will probably be next year, the year after. Yeah, I'd agree. It was just an interesting thing that we were moving in that direction. Um, you gotta have you gotta have a big way to introduce her. And I think that giving her that stage and that platform and the kind of banner that her and Shuri can have uh is gonna be a real treat for audiences. And and I think that that just surprising to me that that was where they were gonna go instead of just blatantly starting her off the way they're doing Miss Marvel, but just starting her off in her own series. And then giving her a movie, putting her in a movie. Yeah, Miss Marvel's going the opposite way, but the it's 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 interesting because now with her being in Black Panther, even though she's going to be in Black Panther first before she gets her her uh, her Disney Plus series, um, and Miss Marvel has her Disney Plus series, which is you know they've done shooting, but she will be in in the Marvels. Uh, they are really tying, it looks like they're tying all of their Disney Plus shows immediately into movies coming out uh, with the exceptions so far of She-Hulk and Moon Knight. Uh, those are two new characters that as, as of right now, aren't appearing in any other movies yet. So I say that to say, don't be surprised if they find a way to show, have them show up either before or right after their Disney Plus shows come out in a Marvel movie. Uh, this would lend credence to your rumor about Moon Knight. Which movie? I don't. I didn't. I haven't heard any Moon Knight rumors. You remember that that rumor that I sent you the link for the Nightmare Gang? Oh, oh, I don't. Because of all, well, no, Doctor Strange already has too much going on in it. If they, I think that would be a bridge too far. Because they're already they're, they're doing multiverse, Wanda's already in it, Mordo's back in it, and they're introducing America Chavez. Uh, I I don't think they'll just introduce Moon Knight and those guys in this movie just because. Would be interesting. We'll yeah. see. So Kevin Feige is once again on the press tour because there is a movie coming out. Chad, first reactions to Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings are very positive, glowing even in terms of the action. Um, some people, such as Matt Goldberg, think that the hero is boring and he cannot uh, connect with him. Action's kind of cool, but story sucks. Um, your thoughts, sir, on what you're hearing out of the premiere and out of the reviews um, and what your thoughts are on... Um, you know, the fact that Marvel's letting one of their big cameos out of the bag before the movie even comes out. Is that uh, the Trevor cameo? Mm-hmm. Well, um, on that note, you know, they did the whole red carpet premiere 
And I'd always, I'd always guess that Trevor would make an appearance just so they can. Marvel likes to to pay off these little things, and it's a little thing. So yeah, the one shot with the king. Yeah, the it's a little thing. So I figured they would pay it off at some point. So well, since they said Legend of the Ten Rings, I figured they pay it off here. But be and so because you have Sir Ben Kingsley in the movie, and you're doing the pre, and you're doing the red carpet premiere, it's not like you're, and you have all the cast taking a picture. It's not like you're not going to include him in the picture if he's in the movie. So there's really nothing you can do at that point outside of releasing the the movie early. But again, it's such a, a minor thing. Uh, I'm the general public is not going to know nor care um, about Trevor Slatterly. When they see him, they'll be like, wait, was he in something else? And then they'll make the connection to Iron Man 3. But going into it, they don't know. Us that scour the internet, most people with anybody thinking about it would have put two and two together. Like, oh, we're getting the real Mandarin. And we had a one short where one shot where the real Mandarin takes Trevor. I bet they pay that off in this movie. It's really no, it shouldn't be so much of a surprise. Would have been better just to see it happen in the movie, yes, but you can't help these kind of things. As for the whole reaction of Shang uh, of Shang-Chi, uh, last time I looked, uh, Rotten Tomatoes had it at like a 92. Uh, I didn't read those reviews, but it does echo everything you said. Most people really enjoy the movie. Um, I have heard the typical complaints about Marvel movies is that, you know, the second act is stronger than the third. It's a, it's an action slash superhero movie. I'm pretty sure that's how it always is. That's, that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, I haven't outright heard that that uh, Samu Liu is uh, is boring in, in Shang-Chi. I have heard that um, his antagonist, his father, it comes off as more charismatic than he is. And that's not saying that Samu Liu is bad. It's just saying that that guy, he's a villain. Villains normally have to you know, more things to do that people can be more in, engaged with. And that that's what I've heard to be the case here. But I've only heard that a couple of places. Overall, I've heard, uh, you know, just positive things about this movie, that it's a a good to, to very good entry into Marvel and that, you know, it's going to be another crowd pleaser when everybody gets to see it. When everybody gets to see it. Um, that 45-day theatrical exclusive window means sometime around Christmas, everybody will get to see it. Um, we're gonna go see it. We're gonna go do the uh, we're gonna do the the uh, seven o'clock IMAX screening, and we'll be back here on the podcast to to record our thoughts. Um, but it for me, I was happy, and I was happy, and I, I felt bad for everybody because I feel like this is this was supposed to be like the Asian American Black Panther moment. Like this was supposed to be the people showing up to to their movie in their outfits and and, and and having this cultural awakening moment where finally for the first time maybe since Bruce Lee it's not a caricature of their culture it is their culture represented on screen by people who look like them and talk like them and rep- come from the places that they come from um and 
you know, I think that that them not getting that opportunity is something that's going to always be disappointing to me because I feel like they they should have it. Um, when and if we ever get question time with Mr. Feige, I would like to know what his what his and the studio's idea of success is in the pandemic. So you didn't have to worry about the potential for a Black Black uh, Widow sequel because we knew it was a prequel movie. This is a new entry into the MCU. And while Thor and Captain America didn't have to hit box office milestones for them to do Avengers, um, it is kind of now a prerequisite that these characters work and they work well enough, resonate and connect well enough with the audience that they can be carried forward. It'll be interesting to see how you determine that without the box office. Yeah, that's the that's the whole thing. Um, one, well, one, I don't. I think like the newer heroes. I don't think everybody should be judged by, you know, Avengers and and Captain America. All those first wave of movies. I don't think they should be judged by those coming out the gate uh, because it's a it's a different world now. Uh, Outside of Avengers, yeah, it opened at a billion and all the movies made a billion subsequently. But I mean, the first Cap movie uh, is one of the lowest, lowest grossing uh, Marvel movies we have. Uh, and it progressed from there. So while I don't think these movies like Shang-Chi that are introducing people are, are going to open in the first Avengers territory, I don't think they can be looking at like civil war or avengers territory i think you're looking you want to be ant-man that i think that's your your goal you want to get to ant-man dr strange level levels and that would normally be a success however as you said we're in COVID time so what constitutes constitutes a success now uh what what is the point they're looking for um i think i wish i had it pulled up but uh Black Widow, for all the hand-wringing we've had over it, um, it is it's going to be the highest grossing movie domestically of COVID times. Uh, I think Fast 9 is going to be the highest grosser worldwide, but I believe that one released in China. Black Widow, as I understand it, has not released in China as of yet. So, and uh, I was just looking at something from ERC box office. Okay, so um, point of order: the yeah. very fir- the first Ant Man movie made 180 million dollars. Black Widow has made 180.2, and they are on their way to passing Thor for 181. So, um, Black Widow was 180.2. Uh, the first Ant Man was 180.2, uh, and um dr strange was 232.6 um and the very first uh captain america movie captain america and the first avengers 176.6 openings if you're talking about opening weekends because that's where we we judge things now mostly especially in pandemic where you have to get as much money as you can right ant-man the original ant-man movie in July of 2015, when we started this podcast in earnest, uh, debuted to $57 million. Black okay. Widow, of course, debuted a few months ago, uh, you know, seven, 45, 50 days ago with $80 million. 
Okay. The first Thor, the first Thor was sixty five million, as well as the first Captain ben, Captain America was also sixty five million. Doctor Strange was eighty five million. Okay, so in normal times, I think the I gave Ant Man too much credit. I, in normal times, I think the goal is um, opening to to Doctor Strange levels and above. But in COVID times, I think the goal is Ant-Man. You you want to open around Ant-Man levels when we're in all this uncertainty, which they have done so far. Uh, but it's just a question of, is that what they really consider a success? But uh, I think it's going to, it's really hard to tell, but I'm looking at uh, exhibitor relations right now, and of of the movies that are charting right now, um, the the three best, the three movies doing the best right now are all Disney properties. Uh, it's Jungle Cruise, Free Guy, Black Widow. Uh, their drops from week to week have been substantially lower than everybody else. They're at like Black Widow's the highest drop, and that's almost it's at thirty nine percent. The rest of these movies are percent or above. Right. So it's something to be said for Disney's brand that their movies are coming out and it's still a slow trudge, but they're the little legs that everything is having, they are doing it while others are not. So if you're gonna get if you can get to Ant-Man numbers in COVID times, uh for a, a Shang-Chi, I think you're winning. Uh, now, for Spider-Man, that's a whole different thing. But that's a Sony issue. But for, for Marvel proper, um, Shang-Chi, it has to be around the Ant-Man window to be a success. Uh, and I think it will. I mean, you know, cross fingers. If everything is still like it is today, I think it will because of that exclusive window. More people are going to go out to see it. But uh, I mean, and that's the best you can do. So I, I I don't know. Yeah, fifty-seven million dollar opening weekend for Ant Man, and seventy-five million dollar opening weekend for Ant Man too. Yeah. See. Yeah. So Ant Man two went up. I th- I think that's the range you need to be in. Indeed. Well, that'll about do it for this week's episode of the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mets Theory. Thank you very much. And this is your reminder that my uh, fantasy football name is All Hail Mark Sanchez. My head's been down the whole time you said that. <laughs>